Hey guys, it's Destry and Katie and we're the Practical Idealists and today we're going to talk about Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas slash Illuminations The, the Grinch, Grinch. <laughs> as well as the uh, Jim Carrey How the Grinch Stole Christmas to a, a lesser extent. It will be referenced. So this is one of my favorite characters. I remember growing up and having the, the plushes and all the different styles of the book, like the original illustration with no color, the one with color, the one where you could color it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real big deal back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Like, there was that big resurgence of the Chuck Jones one, and that was mainly because Cartoon Network would air that constantly. I'm not sure if they do anymore. I think they still do, but I might be wrong. But they own all of the Chuck Jones and the Looney Tunes and all of that. Mm -hmm. So they're able to show that at any time as far as my knowledge is concerned. But whether they're still doing that, I don't know because we haven't had cable for, what, about four years now? <laughs> Longer than that. <laughs> so the new one, which is aptly titled The Grinch. Just The Grinch. And I feel like that's... It's appropriate. Or the movie. Because I feel like if they would have called it the original name of the original story, that your mindset going into it would have been vastly different. I think that it's silly in a lot of ways for people to go in to a recreation and think that, well, this is going to be a direct translation of the original story when we all know and we all should know that it's going to be an adaptation. And if you don't know that going in, then you're setting yourself up, I think. And that's kind of sad because on its own, it's a pretty decent movie. It was really cute. Like, I was actually kind of amazed. You know me, I'm like the biggest Grinch purist in the entire world. Oh, yeah. But the nice thing about this new one is that even though it's really more of an adaptation, a reimagining of sorts, the spirit of the original story is still there. Like, Absolutely. Even more so than the Jim Carrey version. That one is kind of an anomaly. Like that was part of the first wave of the let's make this live action craze. The creepy, creepy, let's make this live action craze. Where it was still a lot of puppets and it was still, you know, real actors on real screens and not this new Lion King CGI. Yeah. <laughs> Which that'll be a topic for another time because I have some thoughts about that kind of stuff. So I've talked briefly about it. What are your like basic thoughts? I never had the same relationship to The Grinch that you did. It was just another Christmas movie that was on the rotation of Christmas TV shows like Charlie Brown and the John Goodman Frosty Returns and <laughs> all of those various animated classics that, I mean, they're still playing all those, aren't they? Like Rudolph and stuff. Yep. So it was just another Christmas movie for me. Like, it was never anything particularly special. It's like, okay, I have this entire movie memorized. I was not expecting to enjoy this new Benedict Cumberbatch movie as much as I did, because the voice is terrible. And as soon as we saw the trailer, I was kind of done. But I wasn't anticipating it to be as bad as you were. I actually thought it was really good. It was really, really cute. I thought it was pretty well done. And it all meshed together. It was a good, not only was it a good Christmas movie, but it was a good kids movie. Mm-hmm. 
So going into some more specifics, we're obviously going to talk about like the good points first and then transition into the bad points because this movie has a lot of good points. And oh, yeah. it updates the material in ways that I didn't like, which again we'll get to, but in a lot of ways that I do like. I think that the beginning thing that I want to kind of put out there for us to talk about real quick is the fact that I like the change that he was an inventor. I think that that answered a question that I don't think a lot of people really had, but it was a nice touch because the entire impetus of the story is that, well, if Santa could do it, so could the Grinch. Well, first of all, they were making him less miserly. Oh, yeah. And more of just like a grumpy old man. And this was, But also, um, there were so many Phantom of the Opera references in oh. the way the Grinch, he, he lives in his little mountain. He has all of his inventions around him. He has his little organ that he plays when he's sad. He has the chair that floats everywhere. But it worked because, mm -hmm. yeah. again, it made him a little bit more of a sympathetic character. Which I don't think he needs to be. But for this particular version of the story, I think that that's a good idea. I think in a lot of ways, it's not true to the original character structure. But that doesn't mean that you can't change and adapt that to not only the movie that he's in, but also just if he was an asshole, he was a scary, weird asshole like he was in the original, and especially in the Jim Carrey, like they really beefed that part of his oh, character yeah. up, it wouldn't have worked as well. And probably the reason that I didn't care about the character so much as a kid, you were never really given a reason to feel bad for him. So ultimately, in the end, when I'm going to steal Christmas, and you're like, of course you are, because you're an asshole. <laughs> and then, you know, Cindy Lou Who makes him, his heart grow two sizes, and blah, blah, blah. You, you just kind of don't care. Mm -hmm. You're like, this is not a character that in any way, shape, or form makes you feel anything, so why would you care if he feels better or worse? And I don't really think that that was the intention of the original story. I just think that that was like a casualty of creating a character and a mood and a tone yeah. for that character. Because, and this is a good and a bad trade-off, is that, like I said earlier, I do like that they entitled this one The Grinch instead of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, because that gives you a fairer assessment about what you're going to see. But in the original, the whole entire story was centered on the Grinch, but in so much that he was the major driving force of the plot, and not so much he was a character that you wanted to follow through the story. Yeah, he was the story. So I appreciate that they switched that around so that you actually want to spend time with him, because I think that that's, again, another good and bad trade-off of the Jim Carrey one, where you do spend a lot more time with him, but you also spend a lot more time with the Who's, and then the more time that you spend with the Who's, the more time that you want to spend with the Grinch because the Who's are even less redeemable than him. Do you, I mean, do you agree with yeah, that sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. So it's well, still about him, but it's doing it in like a negative context where it's mm -hmm. like, I'd rather be watching him be awful than watching these fucking assholes yeah. be awful. Correct me if I'm wrong because we saw this movie a couple days ago. But didn't the movie start with you going through Whoville and meeting the Who's before you met the Grinch? Like, you the, saw them and you go through the town and you're like, the Who's loves Christmas. Yeah. And then you were like, oh, and by the way, there's this dude over here. Mm -hmm. So I think that the fact that it's not like, here's this guy. He hates everything. Especially these people over here. He really hates them. 
but you you see the world first. I mean, to be fair, that kind of happens the same way in the Chuck Jones version. But the positive trade-off of that, though, is that you do spend the majority of the movie with the Grinch. Mm -hmm. And you do spend a decent amount of time with the Who setting up their culture and who they are, which we'll have to talk about. There's who a Who Jesus. Christ? Yeah. That was a little bit odd. They had, what is it, secular music or non-secular music? Both. Okay. But, yeah, they had Christian, they had God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. As, like, a big segment of the movie. It brought some questions to mind. <laughs> that was never a thought that I needed to express about this uh, story, but all right. Do the Who's believe in Jesus and God? <laughs> Are they Presbyterian? Are they Catholic? Right, and, and the thing is, is that, I mean, I might be wrong about this based on the Dr. Seuss universe or whatever, but I could have swore that the Who's were the people on the speck in Horton Hears a Who. I do not remember. I honestly don't know Dr. Seuss that well. And I'm not really saying that they're the same people because I'm almost positive that they're not. But what I am saying is that there is a world outside of their world. So it makes it even more weird, weird because it's like their world and their culture and their history is like a microcosm of the greater universe. So that's just really weird to me. That, you know, in these multiple universes, there are multiple Christs, possibly, maybe. I don't know. That's a very odd thought we, process to go that's down. That's taking this a, a very weird direction. Right. Like, while we were watching the movie, when that section came on, I did lean over to Destro and went, so do the Who's believe in God, or <laughs> is this just a song that they happen to come out of nowhere? Yeah, it was very out of place. So I guess that that's a detractor. It was just, it was odd. And the, and the fact that it was about a good, like, four or five minutes. Well, oh, yeah. You're like, okay, this raises some they had questions. They like had turf war yeah. during the song. Yeah, for some reason it turned into... West Side Story. West Side Story. <laughs> but you focus on the Grinch, not because you feel like he's the lesser of the two evils. You focus on him because you want to see... Him and his story and his character. And his puppet. Especially the puppet. <laughs> Mostly the puppet. Right. So I like that they made him an inventor. I thought that that was a really good alteration because, you know, How Santa can... How this high Right. Uh-huh. Exactly. And it's just like in the, the Chuck Jones, obviously, it was a very, like, ragtag, I'm just going to throw some sacks and some stuff together and grab some magnets and we'll make it happen, you know? But in this one, he had gadgets and doodads and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was funny. They kind of skipped over a lot of that, which I thought was weird. Did you notice that? The stealing of Christmas? Yeah. Well, like, that's that the like, important part of the movie, though. Right. But it was still odd that, you know, they spent this much imagination on how he would go about doing that in 2018. And then you just saw glimpses of it as they kind of went through the town and went through the houses. There was only so much narration that... Pharrell Williams had. He was going to run out of it. He was not. That was a limitless narration. That was... Okay, so jumping into a bad point for a second because it was brought up. Oh my fucking God. If he narrates one more fucking thing, <coughs> I swear to God I'm going to have to cut his vocal cords. Because that was awful. It that was probably the worst part of the movie for me. And the main reason why it was so bad was because they didn't even use a majority of the already written story. Like, they used it as a catalyst to say things that there is no reason to be said in the worst rhyming couplets I've heard yeah. in years. It was bad. It didn't need a narrator. 
at all. Like, do you agree with me? I mean, I think that it's a staple of Dr. Seuss and a staple of the Grinch to have a narrator, but the movie would have held up without one. And if they had to have a narrator and it had to be Pharrell Williams, then it should have been just the damn story. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot make a better story out of a story that was written the best way it could have but been written. But they extended the story, so they didn't need narration for some parts because they expanded upon the story. Right. But in that regard, I think that they took a little bit too much inspiration the from the Jim Carrey version. Yeah. They deviated so much, and his voice was just obnoxious in most points that it just it kind of ruined any kind of tone that they were going for. It distracted. And I think that that's another small negative that I have is that, like I was saying earlier, the spirit of the story is there, which is leaps and bounds above the Jim Carrey version. Oh, yeah. I think that they really just were making a statement with that one. I mean, mission statement, ultimately, nothing can beat the original. Yeah. Jim Carrey doesn't belong anywhere on the map. This was (laughs) a, a loving ode to the original Mm -hmm. that had some needed modern updates to the story some that were good and some that were some were some yeah some were unneeded possibly but i think for the most part like especially the morals that they added to the story were a very sweet and pleasant addition to what was already a really good movie and already a really good christmas story but the point i guess i'm trying to make is that there was just no tone set for the movie like it was just kind of cutesy and that was where it stayed a lot of time i would agree with that not to say it didn't have moments where it did like i liked the little sequence when it was going into his childhood oh yeah that was my favorite part and the things were disappearing in the darkness and the light contrast like i liked that part of it and there was other parts too that i think had a very good tone like when he comes back down to give them back everything, that's usually, and even in the original story, that's usually like this triumphant, I brought your shit back! Yay! And in this one, it was sort of like, and we'll talk more about this here in a minute, I did something wrong, so therefore this is my atonement for doing was, something wrong. It was an act of contrition. Yeah, and it wasn't just like, hey, look, I brought your stuff back, be happy. It was more just kind of like, I owe you this much. Yeah, this is, I'm wrong, so I have to make up for the fact that I was wrong. Yeah, so I I did like how they handled that moment. The other positive thing that I wanted to talk about was the fact that they spent a good majority of the time on talking about alternative families. Oh, yeah. Like, that was, I think, the best update of the material that they could have done. Because, you know, Max and the Grinch are an alternative family. Absolutely. Cindy Lou who has a single mother, and there's a other girl in the story that has, you know, two moms. Two moms. It illustrates the point of the movie, which is inclusion, I think. I think yeah. that if you had to put a mission statement out there, inclusion would be the one that would bring this to me. A little bit more specific, I think, for me was that it doesn't matter what form something takes because ultimately the the feeling attached to it is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So a family is a family no matter what it looks like. A person is a person no matter how small. Right. You know, it, I felt like that was more... It was a good extension of the message. I mean, I personally 
my favorite part of the movie was when the Grinch has his little panic attack. Mm-hmm. I, as someone who regularly has panic attacks myself, I thought that they did a great job showing it. And also, despite Pharrell Williams, <laughs> I thought that the narration was probably at its best there, explaining why he was feeling what he was feeling and what was going on. And they didn't demonize him for it. They didn't turn it into a, I'm going to freak out on everyone because I'm feeling this. It was just, I need to remove myself from the situation because I am uncomfortable and there's a reason that I'm uncomfortable and it's okay that I'm feeling this way. And I, I thought that they they showed that really well and in a very, a way that was very palatable to kids. Sympathetic. Yeah, sympathetic, but also I think palatable is the word I'm looking for mm-hmm. because it's something that kids can see, you know, if they're going through something, if they're having a panic attack, they can be like, yes, I see that, and it makes sense to me. That's why this is happening. And it's okay. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with me. It just means that there's a lot of things going on in my brain and that I need to get away from something so that my brain can calm down. So I thought that they did a really good job showing that. My other favorite part was the ending. I loved that. I mean, you kind of touched on this too. That wasn't just a matter of, you know, he's taking everything back and suddenly everything's okay. But when he he comes to dinner with Cindy Lou's family and everything, he has this moment where he's talking about things and he he addresses the Christmas party at large and says that he he realizes that it wasn't Christmas he hated, but it was being alone. Mm-hmm. And I love that the Grinch kind of owned his own feelings. Yeah, I like that they showed that that someone like yes, I did something wrong, and I recognize the fact that not only was it wrong, but the reason it was wrong was because I was thinking about things the wrong way and because I didn't ask questions. But I'm going to own both the fact that I did something wrong and those incorrect feelings. And I have two things based on what you said. Number one, the the freak out scene, the the panic attack, is a good contrast to the Jim Carrey version where he just wreaks havoc on the town. And he makes it their problem. Which, to be fair, in that version, that segment worked. Because they were just being disgustingly, yeah. stupidly. But in this one, I appreciated that, number one, it was earlier in the story. Oh, and yeah. number two, he wouldn't have been in that situation if he wasn't trying to take down this massive yeah. Christmas tree in the fucking first place. So he knew that I put myself in this situation. And that's why I have to, again, take responsibility for the way that I'm feeling about it. And I think that... All the ways that he was rude or mean to people was in a, I'm putting up a boundary, I'm putting up a barrier. It absolutely was. And not just being a dick. Yeah, he wasn't an asshole just for being an asshole's sake. It was him. Except for a couple of times. (laughs) Well, all of the times it was him responding to something that either he didn't know how to respond appropriately to, like, you know, people being overly friendly. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that is very relatable to a lot of grown-ups, but even to a lot of kids to be able to see that. I thought that the kids' message was really, really thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And it was a grown-up message that was put in a really accessible kids' package. That's the reason that I ultimately liked the movie, because I felt like there were a lot of psychological lessons that they were teaching kids in this movie. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't realize it, they might see that and then later on recognize if they, they see one of those feelings themselves then at least it's something that they've seen before and they know what to do with it. Because, I mean, going back to the inclusion thing, I think that that's a good moral for everybody. And oh, I think yeah. that this is something that we have said, I'm going to refer you guys back to 
our Halloween Haunt podcast just because you're focused on you and your family and your holiday or whatever doesn't mean that you can't take some time outside of yourself and include other people in that. Because ultimately, we're all doing the same thing. You know, and we do it, everybody does it. It's not like I'm preaching from my pulpit here. But what I am saying is that I think that a lot of people get so focused and distracted and self-centered without even meaning to a lot of times that they don't think outside of the box in a considerate sort of way. And I think that that was ultimately one of the major messages that I received from this movie was, again, going back to the idea of inclusion, is that the reason why he hated Christmas, like you said, is that because I was alone. And they delve slightly into his backstory. They don't go as far back as the Jim Carrey version does. But nobody extended a hand to him. Yeah, no one went outside themselves to recognize that maybe there was someone around them who needed that love and support. And then that perpetuated itself into how he behaved towards them. Because he learned from their behavior. He learned that, well, if no one else is going to be considerate of me, why should I be considerate of other people? That's just the way they think about things, so why should I do anything different? And that's where the adult message, I think, comes into play, is that we're all governed by our past and our parents and the things that we learned as we were growing up. And I think that there comes a certain point, and I think that there should come a certain point, where you take the good and the bad and reassess it and make a different choice, especially if it's hurting you and hurting the people around you. And I think that we as a society have this perpetuation of depression, sadness, you know, anger, resentment towards each other and, and other people and ourselves that we don't really spend any time on. So it never gets better and things just keep perpetuating. They inadvertently made his own decision for him, but he's still responsible for that decision and he takes responsibility for it multiple times, saying that I thought that this would make me feel better, but it didn't. And of course it didn't because you weren't processing the proper information. Yeah, you weren't taking care of the root problem. It's cool how a lot of times the deepest thoughts can come from a kid's movie. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because especially as, as a grown-up, you can kind of look beyond the silliness. And like we're doing right now, you can think about the morality of it and the, uh, the philosophy behind it. But that was definitely something that I was thinking about going out of it is the fact that when I'm out in the world, I try not to pay attention to what's going on with everyone else because I'm already a very empathetic person. And so I tend to take on what everyone else is feeling anyway. Mm -hmm. But I think that there is a fine line between not getting bogged down by it and willfully ignoring when someone is in need of attention and support. So basically what happened is that because he put up that boundary, that barrier, because of if no one else is going to be considerate, why should I be considerate? Everybody in the town who could have stepped in at a later point didn't because, well, obviously he doesn't want that. And they always kept him at arm's length. And I thought that it was telling that they didn't treat him any differently when he went into yep. the town. Because in the Jim Carrey version, he has to wear a human mask. And yeah. It, I mean, that was frightening. By the way, they're afraid of him. And in this one, he's just another guy that they, they're just not used to paying any attention to him. So there's no reason to. 
besides that weird musical number that was that never happened again and it was just supposed to be funny and i thought it was poorly it was weird yeah i felt like that was something that was actually just happening inside the grinch's mind possibly yeah like he as he's walking through that's the way it feels that he's being actively chased by christmas and i can subscribe to that i just think that it was funny but it was weird yeah and brought a lot of questions i never wanted to ask the questions do the who's and whoville believe in christ i've never wanted that it's not something that my childhood requires <laughs> so to finish my point is that at the end of the movie it's kind of an unspoken accord which i appreciated because it's a very adult way of handling it but it was also kind of a cop-out in my opinion and maybe i'm thinking too much about this you mean that no one talks about anything or says anything when it comes to the party i was thinking that same thing i'm like wow we are handling this just like grown-ass adults we're not gonna talk about anything that happened <laughs> we're just gonna be like sup you're here now all right cool we're just totally not going to address anything that just happened no this is just this is the way it is now we'll never talk about it ever again yep exactly and he makes some very self-flagellating points here. Mea culpa, mea culpa. Right. And then they're just kind of like, all right. Okay, cool. Yeah. But that also cements, and this is the positive part of it, it also cements that it is essentially his story and it's his character journey. It's not about these other people. It's about him. And that's why I thought that this handled the moment when he decides to take it back definitely better than the Jim Carrey version. Everything but, did everything better than the Jim Carrey version. Right. <laughs> but the spirit of it is very much aligned with the initial concept for the idea. Because in the Jim Carrey version, I remember, I think, listening to the commentary a you while back. You watched the commentary. It's Ron Howard. You watched the commentary. It is Ron Howard. You watch the commentary on Jim Carrey's The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Ron Howard. Anyway, and I almost remember him saying, and I might be wrong about this, so excuse me, but I remember him saying that it was important to him that The Grinch won and what he would do being faced with the fact that he won. And when they get past it, he takes it back as a sort of reward for them realizing that they were awful. Yeah. And realizing that they don't need this consumerism bullshit to have a good Christmas. And it's like, okay, I'll bring it back now because you got my point. And that was fair, but again, not the story. And I think nothing really illuminated that in this version better than that moment. And it was contrived. And it's contrived in the original story too. So it's not like it changed all that much, but I think it would have been helped a whole lot more if Pharrell Williams would have said the fucking words. Or wouldn't have spoken at all. Because nothing says what the moral of the story is better than, better than Dr. Seuss saying the moral of the fucking story. So you're not going to get better than that. Sorry, Pharrell. It's a very small thing that I liked that they added when the Grinch is captured by Cindy Lou. I liked that his thought process started changing, not just when she was like, I want you to help my mommy. And he's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But you could see him start softening as soon as she started being nice to him. Oh, yeah. That was the most heartbreaking moment for me, too. But he she... also allowed her <clears throat> yeah. to be nice to He, he allowed he that to happen. But it was really sweet when she's like, here, you sit down here and I'll get you a pillow and then you take this because it'll make you feel better. And I like that they, the animators did a fantastic job. Can we also oh, yeah. take a minute and say it was really beautiful. It oh, was a beautiful God. movie. The texture on the Who's was a little bit weird. 
<clears throat> yeah, the furry faces. They were kind of fuzzy, yeah. and I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of that. But anyway, but that's, that's besides the side note. <laughs> I liked the the expressions that they gave him while that was happening, where it was mm-hmm. kind of bewilderment, but also like, wow, this is this is kind of nice. Like, okay. And I liked that, that that change started to happen even before she said the thing that shocked him. And then he was like, oh. You know, piggybacking on that is that he learns kind of two lessons there. Is that number one, if I let people be nice to me, they will be Maybe nice will. to me. During the party, not only is everyone like, we're not going to talk about this. But as they're being polite to him, the Grinch is really good at being polite back. Yep. He knows all of their names. Oh, yeah. He says hello to them. He lets the one guy hug him. <laughs> Seriously, though. So obviously he has social skills somewhere in there when he realizes that people aren't going to jump at him and be mean. Like, he's not bad at it. And that little moment of sadness when the reindeer guy leaves with his family. But he lets him. I guess we're alone don't... now, Max. It's just you and I again. Yeah. I love Max more than I love ever loved anything ever in life. Also, appreciation that never once is he actually mean to Max in this movie. He doesn't kick him, he doesn't yeah. hit him, he okay. doesn't throw him. Abusive me. There is okay, no yeah, abusive. No. no, no, no. He's he's just kind of an asshole to well, him. Well, but, but yeah, he's an asshole. That's kind of the thing about the Grinch. But yeah, appreciation for the fact that he's never abusive to yeah. his dog. Oh yeah, definitely. But he kind of learns two lessons there. Number one is the fact that if I let people be nice to me, they're going to be nice to me. Or they could be, you know, I'm opening up the possibility. But also number two is that, so you're not all self-centered assholes. Yeah. When she tells him that my Christmas wish is for my mom instead of for me, he's like, wow, okay, I, I just learned a whole lot of shit. There was a lot of emotional uh-huh. information in there. Yeah. But going back to the moment where he decides to take it back, besides the fact that the narration just failed that moment entirely, yeah. I liked where he realized he was wrong. And not just the smug satisfaction of, ha, I still did it anyway, which is kind of the original intention. Yeah. In my opinion, the reason why he takes it back in the original story and in the Chuck Jones short is the fact that, well, I was wrong, so this is stupid. Yeah. But in this one, I think that he realizes that he was just wrong. Not only was he wrong morally... But he was wrong from a thought perspective. Like, I'm glad you brought the Cindy Lou Who moment up from previous, is that that's kind of a moment that they gloss over in the story. But that's why I like that the change started there, like you said. He's been proven wrong this entire night. It's been a bad night for him. Yeah, just the entire time he's, he's just wrong. So it's not so much a, oh, I'm wrong, so therefore I was stupid, so here's your shit back. In this one, it was like, I legitimately feel bad for being so fucking wrong about you and about the holiday and about everything. Like, I was just wrong. And so it'd be wrong for me to complete my plan when you haven't done the thing that I thought that you did in order for me to enact my plan in the first place. And also That's not ag- fair. acknowledging that he participated in his own misery. Oh, yeah. The second point that I wanted to make, and this was a ch- another change from the original that I did really like, he didn't save it alone. And if that doesn't tell you the message right there, then I don't know what will. Mm-hmm. They showed it better than they said it, which if you're going to put narration there, put the narration from the fucking book or don't talk. Just let it happen. Like that just really pissed me off. That's the one point in the entire thing that I was like, shut up. I just want you to shut the fuck up. The rest of the time it was just annoying. It was just vaguely annoying. But then Max and the reindeer family come and help him. And again, if that doesn't say what the moral is, is that, yes, you can be an independent person, 
and still rely on others. Absolutely. And that's okay. Because everybody needs a little help from their friends. So the other two points that I wanted to make was that I liked the fact that Cindy Lou Who was a budding inventor herself. Yeah, it was so cute. So They're in good company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then again, that through line is that she wants someone to help her mom. And then in the little credit sequence afterwards, you see him inventing things around the house. Making her her little breakfast maker and so, little fridge thing and washing machine in the sink. And, and also, um, we were talking about this last night, too, how not only did he invent all these things to help mom around the house, but hey, we suddenly have a built-in babysitter. Mm -hmm. So not only does mom have help, but mom can get a break, too, because... The Grinch will come hang out with Cindy Lou and bring his adorable puppy. So I'm glad that they thought that. Through. Yeah. So I like that the animation, especially for the Grinch, was so lively. But the problem that I had is that they kind of turned him into Wile E. Coyote. A little bit, yeah. It wasn't so much, this is the Grinch. It was more like, this is the Grinch reimagined as a Looney Tunes character. So that was a little bit distracting. But making him so cartoony made him more of like a caricature of the way that he's represented in the book. Because, I mean, we agreed earlier that the original Chuck Jones short, as well as Jim Carrey, he's really mean and nasty and gross. And, and that's where the song comes in. And they don't ever even play the song. In yes, this. they do. Not the You're a Meme of Mr. Grinch. I thought they did while he was planning. If it was in there, they didn't hang a lantern on it. It was a thing that they played in the background. But, you know... Harkening back to the original concept for his character, it's a bit of a cop-out. And it's mainly just so that the younger presence in the audience still has something to look at when the dialogue scenes are going on. But I think that a lot of the, the zany, cartoony elements of it were not there because the animation was cool or mm -hmm. they wanted to demonstrate something or they were trying to make a an animated point and more so that a lot of those kids are going to be under the age of five and they need something to look at. That's how I felt about it. I agree. Very weird cameo from Angela Lansbury. Yeah, as the mayor of Whoville. <laughs> that was just either she owed somebody a favor in the animation department or her grandchildren just really wanted her to be in she this. She probably just wanted to do it. It was just oddly placed. I will never turn down the chance to hear Angela Lansbury. Like, to be fair, that's kind of the way you felt about Benedict Cumberbatch, too. You're like, oh, hi, Benedict Cumberbatch. What are you doing here? And the thing about him that I kept saying throughout the entire thing was, you were smog, for God's sakes, and you can't dig a little bit deeper in your voice for this character? Well, apparently, he was the one who made the decision to do the American accent mm. because he felt that using his original voice like the studio wanted would be inconsistent since everyone else in Whoville was American. Yeah. So that was his decision. That doesn't mean that you can't use a deeper place in he your voice. He might not have been able to do the accent without it, though. That is so Because weird. a lot of British people that I've noticed... A lot of British people have to either go super high or super low. Mm. Like Hugh Laurie went a lot lower than his natural register oh, yeah, to hit the American accent for House. But you can see it in a lot of other British actors that they will go up to hit the right register. Hmm. That way they don't go Southern. Yeah. yeah and I feel true. like Benedict Cumberbatch, if he had gone lower, it would have turned into like Texas. <laughs> As most 
American accents do. It's just like an umbra of dialects and from the Midwest to Texas. Like even, everything leads back to Texas. <laughs> you can even hear in some of the German musical theater people that I play for you, whenever they're speaking English, don't they pop up a little bit? Especially yeah. in their singing registers. They like just go up to hit all the consonants. Any big complaints I'm going to have with this are just going to be nitpicks. Like, it's not going to be anything that ruins the movie. If you're going in to see How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the only thing that I think you're going to be very disappointed in, and we've already talked about this, is that narration. That narration mm-hmm. just almost kills it. It's just so iconic from the original story to have those certain bits of narration that it was kind of lacking at certain points where you really did miss that feeling of it. Because the rhymes that they got to replace them were so woefully inadequate Mm -hmm. that it only highlighted the facts that they weren't doing the original. And a point that you made earlier is that they expanded it, which is fine. Like, I'm cool with that. Like, it's you're making a different movie. Yeah, and also you're you're making a children's book into a hour and 30 minutes. So you have to expand something somewhere. They didn't utilize the already written story as a jumping off point. They literally just, well, they've all heard that one before. Let's do something different and that did not work for me. They modernized it too much. Mhm. I don't think that the person in charge of the narration was very good at being in charge of the narration. Or had read too many Dr. Seuss books. Right. Still a hill I'm willing to die on. That's the only thing in this entire movie that just kind of hurt my soul a little bit. If you're going to include it at all, either include it or don't. Those are your options. And I feel like they made a really bad decision. They copped out on doing either. Yep. So I wanted to end this on... You telling everybody what your headcanon for how the Grinch met Max. Well, I have this vision (laughs) of a very sad little Grinch after he goes up into the mountains by himself, like stumbling back into town to find food somehow. Mm -hmm. And by the way, how does he have money? Has he been selling his inventions? Like, where is he getting the money to buy groceries from? Because he goes to the grocery store. That was another thought I had while watching this. That was a little bit weird. I I was thinking about that earlier, too. But anyway, so I just have this vision of, like, a sad little Grinch. Maybe he's been in the mountains for a year or something. Mm -hmm. And he stumbles back into town, and it's, like, really dark, and maybe he's going to go steal food, or he's going to go through people's garbage cans. And he's going through there, and he finds that there's, like, a little dog that has been, like, kicked out into the cold or who's gotten lost. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, maybe it's a litter of puppies. And there's a little runt who's the mom rejected him. And he's just not getting any food, and he's, like, trying to get attention, and nobody's paying attention to this little dog. You know, or he just keeps getting picked over and picked over and picked over, and finally there's only just one puppy left. And so the Grinch goes, and he, he starts making friends with the puppy, but he, he doesn't believe he's deserving of love. So he keeps coming back to the town. And every time he comes back to the town, Max starts following him until finally Max follows him into the mountain. And the Grinch tries to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want you here. But Max just keeps coming back because he sees that he needs love. And every mm-hmm. time the Grinch comes into town, he's nice to him. And Max knows that he needs someone to be nice to him too. So he just keeps coming back and giving him <laughs> love. And then he never leaves.
Never ever. Because they're bestest friends. <laughs> so anyway, I was going in not prepared to hate it, but just kind of prepared. I thought it was going to be forgettable. And that's what I was kind of worried about for, you know, this podcast. I'm just like, I'm not going to have anything to say. But I was pleasantly surprised, which I was hoping for. And I probably complain more than either of us can buy. Like me personally by myself. And I'm sure that we've said this before. But just because I complain a lot doesn't mean that I just hate everything. Just because we're critical of things doesn't mean that we necessarily dislike them. I know I can be overly critical of things, and I I know that I really dig deep into some things and rip them apart. If I didn't care, if I didn't want to go in with a positive attitude and return afterward with a positive attitude, then I wouldn't care so much. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to say here is that just because I'm critical of something or just because doesn't mean that I'm going into every single experience being like, yeah, I, I hate it. I want to hate it. I want to have something bad to say about it. It just so happens that those are the times when we have more to say. Yeah. So, cute movie. The I animation was good. The writing besides the narration was, was really good. The morals and, and the lessons were, were there, but they weren't like slap you in the face there. They were accessible. The one thing that I will say, if you're going in to go see How the Grinch Stole Christmas, this is not that. Yeah, it's a variation of it. I don't consider the Chuck Jones short to be an adaptation. It is the story. They literally animated the book. The Jim Carrey is an adaptation. And it has its own merits. Few, though they are, but it has its own merits. But after The Cat in the Hat, his widow said, you know, no more. No more live action. If you want to adapt any of his stuff, it has to be animation. And this is exactly the reason why I feel like she said that. Mm-hmm. It's Wait. faithful to the spirit of the book, mm-hmm. if not directly faithful to the story itself. Yeah. Or even the character itself. Like, it still feels like a Dr. Seuss movie. Oh, yeah. I haven't personally seen it, but I know for a fact, just being in the public consciousness, that it is ten times better than that Lorax movie. Everything I've heard about it has been horrendous, and not, like, in a fun way, but in, like, a rip-your-heart-out-and-eat-it kind of a way. Hmm. And that kind of goes to my point that I was saying a second ago. Just because I know that something's going to be bad doesn't mean that, oh, we should definitely... Watch that and talk about it, Katie. Like, there are some things I'm like, it's not worth it because I'm just going to be mad for the sake of being mad. I'd rather be mad because I wanted it to be good and it didn't live up to my expectations than it just being a terrible movie that we all know is a terrible movie and we're still going to talk about it because it's funny that it's so terrible. There's a place for that, but ultimately, I want to go in and enjoy myself. And if I don't, I want to figure out why I didn't. I think that that's important. So I guess my question to you would be, would you buy it? Would you go see it again? Like, what would be the next step for you? I don't feel like this is a movie that I need to see repeatedly, mm-hmm. but it is a movie that I would watch again at Christmas time. I would look forward to watching it again next year. Do I want to watch it multiple times throughout the year? No. But what if someone were to have children? Oh, yeah. It's definitely a great kids movie. It's really fun and cute. 
Like, if someone else we knew wanted to go see this movie in theaters, I'd go again. But do you think that if people have kids, this is a good one to maybe buy for them? Yeah, add to the Christmas rotation. I wouldn't pay full price for it. But But we wouldn't pay full price for anything. There are very few things I would pay full price for. But yeah, I mean, the one thing that you said when we left theater was it put you in the Christmas spirit. Oh, definitely. It got me in the mood for going to do Christmassy things. And I mean, I think that that is the best thing that you can say. About a Christmas movie, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It gets you in the mood. It makes you smile. And I think that it's just an important lesson. It's great to be insular sometimes and focus on yourself and the people that you care about, whether it's your family, your friends, or whoever. But there are also good opportunities, not even just now in December, in the Christmas season, but throughout the year to be inclusive of other people and to be considerate of other people. And it can be something big. It can be something small. It doesn't have to be an effort on your part. Like you don't have to be consciously looking for it, but when it presents itself, sometimes you got to go with it. And being open to being aware of it too. And don't feel like giving away your time or your energy or whatever is detracting from you. You're allowed to take care of yourself and put yourself first, but be aware. See if there's someone who maybe is having a bad day and could use it more than you. And that doesn't mean every single time you have to do that, but it's good to be aware of something other than yourself. Even just be aware in general that, you know, the people that are surrounding you are also trying to enjoy the thing that you are trying to enjoy yourself. So by including them in your enjoyment of it, it makes everybody have a better time. I know I'm definitely guilty of, like, when I'm out and about doing things of forgetting that everyone else is just trying to do the same thing I am. And taking it personally when I'm not able to do what I need to do. Sometimes people are just doing their own thing and not thinking about you. It's not a personal attack. Be mindful. And I really appreciate that this movie took the time to think that message through and to realize it because it's not a new concept to people. But I think that, again, we get so busy with ourselves and our lives and we don't think outside the box sometimes. And that hurts us and that hurts other people. And that can be the difference between someone who needs help not receiving that help and then perpetuating a negative stereotype about others and themselves and them realizing that their logic is flawed and you being the helpful hand that brought them to that realization. So big thoughts from a very little movie. Those are the best movies. So ultimately, good time, good movie, good message. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure it's going to be playing throughout the holiday season here, probably into January, I'm guessing. So if you haven't seen it already, I would go see it. Go for it. And if you want to hear more of our stuff, we are currently on iTunes. We are on Spotify. Google Play. Yep, Google Play. And we also have a Twitter. It is at Idealist underscore the. We have an Instagram, which is just the Practical Idealist, or our names, Destry. Katie. I've been trying to keep up with the whole Twitter thing. So, you know. Go back and listen to some of the old episodes. We got a whole bunch of stuff coming at you here in the next couple of weeks. And then after that, it's going to be back to two a month. So this is the beginning of our, our holiday season stuff. So I hope that you're having a good holiday season so far. And, you know, we still got a couple weeks to go yet. And if you haven't seen Santa, go see Santa. If you haven't brought your pets to see Santa, 
take your pets to see Santa. <laughs> Absolutely. And put them in cute costumes. If you do any of this, please. Find us on Instagram. For all us up. that is holy, let us know and show <laughs> That would make my entire day. Seriously, just one person. <laughs> Spread the cheer. <laughs> That's how you step outside of yourself. So happy holidays, everybody. And uh, we will see you in the next one. Bye.